Hello, and welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast, where we explore effective teaching of the healthcare providers of tomorrow. I am your host, Dr. Kathleen Timmy. You may remember Dr. Kim Stowers from our episode on giving effective feedback. Dr. Stowers is an assistant professor in the Division of General Pediatrics at the University of Utah, where she was also a chief resident. She is joining me today as a co-host. We are lucky to have Dr. Bruce Herman with us today. Dr. Herman is a pediatric emergency medicine physician and pediatric residency program director. He is also the vice chair of education for the Department of Pediatrics. We will focus on Dr. Herman's leadership roles within medical education. Dr. Herman, welcome to the Teaching in Medicine podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today. We would like to first start off the podcast with learning more about your background, including where did you do your training and then what brought you to Utah? Okay. Well, my background is I went to, I grew up in Ohio in a small town, went to college and then subsequently medical school in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, at the University of North Carolina. And then on a whim interviewed here. And as you both know, once you get here and see the beauty of the place. And then the people here is very easy to see why I came here to do my residency and subsequently have stayed. And so you did a pediatrics residency and then stayed here for fellowship as well? After residency, I, this was in the dark ages. So I had literal and career ADD. And uh, uh, when I was finished my residency, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, but I knew I liked the people in the ER. So I started as a PEM attending right out of residency. We didn't have fellowships yet. Uh, also was doing pulmonary research because I thought I might be a CF doctor. I was actually working with Dr. Lemons, who just transitioned out of uh, the HEMONC as division chief role. And I worked in his lab because I also thought I was going to be a hematologist, oncologist, um, but ultimately really liked the medicine in PEM and did a fellowship here a few years later after a few detours, but did a 15 month fellowship in Peds emergency medicine and um, then became a board certified PEM physician. And then just as the way inertia goes and opportunities and serendipity, I so after being a PEM doc for about two or three years, got involved in child abuse. Marty Palmer, who the Palmer team is named after, um, died suddenly and they needed help in child abuse. And someone asked, oh, will you do it? I said, I'll do it for six months. <laughs> um, and it turned into a really neat career. I did it for 17 years uh, and then subsequently became boarded in child abuse when that became a fellowship. And then my role into education was also sort of serendipity. We had a turnover in our fellowship director and put it out there. And then Joyce Soprano came to me and said, hey, do you want to do this? I said, sure, let's do it. Uh, and became fellowship director and then really enjoyed that. And then I, through that, I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Bale, who was Kim's uh, program director for a while. What was that the whole time? You were there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, I seem old. <laughs> no. um, 
<laughs> but I, I worked with Jim Bale, who preceded me as residency program director, and he offered me the role of fellow school director. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the education. But to be honest, what I really liked was being on an intern selection committee and getting to meet people interviewing. And I really enjoyed the recruiting aspects of, of residency. And I said, well, I think that'd be fun to do. Uh, so again, serendipity, the chair at the time sort of said, hey, are, do you want to do residency director? And I said, oh, I would love it. And it was sort of a meld of what skills that I, marginal skills I have had, but uh, it allowed me also to develop a whole lot of other skills. That's really exciting. So your very first leadership role was actually at the fellowship level for, for pediatric emergency medicine. Yeah. And then I was also child abuse fellowship director uh, also. So I directed two fellowships for a while and that was fun. And looking back on some of those early roles, what do you think you learned from being fellowship program directors? As I have moved up in administrative roles, you realize that they become sort of managerial roles and it's people management. And you realize that being a kid, good kindergartner uh, are skills that don't always translate over to residents or fellows or attendings. Uh, and you really learn how to manage people, which has probably been the thing that I have learned the most about over the last 10 plus 15 years. And what are some of the greatest joys in those early roles? The greatest joys have been consistent throughout, and it's the relationships that I've been I had the privilege of with fellows and chief residents and and residents, and really help them in their careers. Our motto of the residency is our goal is to help people get to where they want to be. That sort of motto has been there the whole time uh, in my roles as fellowship director. How can we help develop? the fellow or resident to get connected and to have the skills to succeed. And it's been a blast. And I think this place is unique um, in that we have tried to get people to where they want to be. And I'll use an example. So one, a fellow applicant uh, had been uh, a resident in New Orleans during Katrina and had to transfer residencies and finish his residence a residency at Texas Children's and applied to our fellowship and said, I really want to do disaster management. And until the last 10 years here, where we've had earthquakes and uh, <laughs> other things, floods in our hospital yeah. the other day, uh, we, I had no skills in disaster management and we really didn't have a lot of resources in disaster management. So when Brent, who was the fellow applicant, uh, he ultimately matched with us and we were able to, during his three years of fellowship, help him develop connections nationally. And then he developed programs here. Uh, and subsequently he is now a national leader in disaster management mm -hmm. and is head of the disaster planning at Texas Children's, and they've had numerous <laughs> natural disasters over the last few years, including the hurricane that was just a couple years ago. And he texted me a film of him on CNN. And it was just <laughs> fun to sort of have those connections to say, look at what I've done. And I have been able to play a role in that is a lot of fun.
I think that has to be one of the neat things about being in one place for so long as you've really seen people rise from resident to fellow to faculty to national leader. And so that must be really rewarding to have been here for that. And this place, I think, is unique in that everyone really wants to help that along. And some of the skills that I have are relational and the connections that I've been able to make here and help people make uh, has been gratifying. And I've been here for three years, but I think that's one of the things I really admire about you as a leader is from the first time that we met, you were interested in kind of what I, what I wanted to become and what roles would kind of satisfy me and challenge me. And it wasn't so much about, you know, your agenda or the department's agenda that, oh, we're really trying, we're looking for this type of person. It was kind of, how can I help you to get to where you want to go? And that's honestly one of the reasons why I'm here. Um, is because I, I knew that I, you know, really wanted that kind of support and those opportunities early on. So I just really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. And I also would echo that I've been here since, gosh, I guess 2015. (laughs) And um, I definitely feel like that's a huge gift of yours, Bruce, is that you spend moments checking in with your residents, even though you have such a large program and you make everyone feel very valued. And I don't think everyone has that gift. And so um, I remember early on you also asking um, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And three years of residency, one chief year later, and um, now I guess, gosh, my second year of being an attending and you help support me through it. So I appreciate it as well. Well, thanks. And it's just this place fosters that. And um, and it brings me the most professional satisfaction to see you guys have your success. And so when Kim did a sub I here as a fourth year student, we I think it was my first or second year as program director and we were. Mm redoing our slideshow and recruitment and Kim was here and she was going to Colorado and then subsequently back to Kentucky. Kentucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, Hey, will you watch our slideshow with us? <laughs> and she was the uh, sort of first consumer and we've revised it every year since, but you were the, you helped create that. Is a great presentation. Really well. (laughs) Obviously, worked very well. (laughs) Yes. Um, With that being said, we wanted to chat more about your role as a program director. I think the most interesting of questions is what a typical day looks like for you. I know, being a chief resident, you are always so busy, but you also spent mornings with us, making sure that our day looked like it should be, and that we were checking in and following up with meetings. But now that it's 2021 a couple of years later after I was chief what does it look like for you day to day has it changed at all every day is different and certainly COVID has changed a lot of things in our lives um, but that said is again the biggest joy I get out of residency director is the relationships with the residents and then even specifically the chief residents and it's basically they're your partners for the year and and for longer but um the chiefs play such a vital and integral role as being the intermediary between the program and the residents and they and you were the ears on the street uh 
and the eyes on the street. And we want to, again, help everybody get to where they want to be. But I can't watch. Now we have almost 90 residents uh, and the chiefs are in the mix and know what's going on. And to have those daily check ins and make sure that we are moving things forward. And I am trying to help lead that ship. And every year has its own issues, be it COVID or Kim's year as chief, there was a CCC, we have this clinical competency committee meetings. And um, someone brought up during one of our CCC meetings that the residents were not doing their evals. And we said, well, what should we do? And someone came up with the idea of uh, that should we, we should tie meal money, which in our residency program, you get meal money for food. Uh, and that's a nice perk here. And we decided to tie meal money to completion of evaluations. Unbeknownst to me, and and probably mm-hmm. even Kim and Caitlin, who were the chiefs that year, we thought, oh, this is not a big deal. But it was, it led to an almost mutiny uh, <laughs> from the residents. And and it was probably, it led to probably the hardest decision I made as program director was to try to do what was right for the program and not necessarily what different people thought. Um, and I really thought that at, at that point, I really thought that we should sort of back it down a little bit. And it, it ultimately, I think, it, I think it was probably the right thing to do, but it was, that was, that has been by far the toughest chief program director decision I had to make. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, I think with any leadership position, making those hard decisions and sticking to your guns and compromising where you feel like fit and where you feel like you need to stand strong, then you do that as well. And so I respected you for that. I know that we talked through many issues throughout that year and ultimately the decision was up to you. And I thought it was kind of nice that I could give you that resident perspective or another type of leadership perspective and you are always willing to listen. So circling back, like I think you value lots of people's opinions before you make an, a decision. Thanks. And I think that's one thing I've learned over the years is to gather people's input and then make a decision. So I have been critiqued by some as <laughs> trying to gather too much information and trying to get too many people's opinions. But I think as a leader in education or anything, making autocratic decisions isn't the best. So circling back after you meet with residents in the morning, I know you do morning conference with the residents and then you um, do your check-in with chief residents. What does your day look like after that? I think that is where also just the variety is different. I may have a shift in the ED or individual meetings with the residents. And I like to meet with all the residents at least twice a year during their semi-annual reviews. And that's a blast because it, again, allows me to develop those relationships and really check in and make sure that I and we are helping them get to where they want to be. Um, and then it's, uh, a lot of it is just, okay, what are we doing in our program? What are the changes that we can make? What are the things that we can look forward to changing? Uh, and how can we make our program better? And this is a 90-ish residence is a, a large we're now a large program. Um, and in a large program, there are a lot of 
we have a lot of affiliated programs. Uh, we have categorical peds, which is 60 of our 90-ish residents, but our affiliated, our combine programs, child neuro, triple board and med peds now account for roughly a third of our residents. Um, and to make sure that those programs are really integrated in our programs and I'm communicating with those program directors and really making us move forward. And then in the role of vice chair, I don't directly oversee fellowships, but again, try to help the fellowships succeed and help the fellowship directors uh, succeed. Uh, and that has been fun and also a challenge and mm -hmm. just trying to, to work with divisions and, and fellowship directors and uh, really try to help people get to where they want to be. Speaking of changes or new initiatives, what are some that you have implemented during your time as program <clears throat> director within the residency program or even beyond the residency program? It's been fun. And this is one of those serendipity inertia kind of things is that when I took over as program director at EPAC was just getting started and EPAC stands for education in pediatrics across the continuum. And that was a unique program that we are one of four schools in the country that do it. And it looks at competency-based medical education, which is sort of has been over the last five to 10 years, a buzzword versus just grades and really how do we assess people to see what level they are, where they are and how to progress them through their training. And EPAC added time variability to the equation. And in our program, medical students advance to residency during their fourth year. And EPAC is unique in that they sort of essentially match into their uh, peds residency as a it's some of the schools as a first year and in our school as a second year uh, medical student and then you know we get to start working with them through megan o'connor and who's our epac director and transition into residency and we've had uh residents go on to fellowships uh through the epac program and really see competency-based medical education uh, in the real world and how can we do it? And it really has unique, we were able to partner with the American Board of Pediatrics and the ACGME and these the four other school, three other schools, which were Minnesota, Colorado, uh, and UCSF. Um, and it's been fun to, to really work with those and learn, learn a lot from them. And one of the other things that we have done in our program is implement the x plus y uh, changes and that also was sort of any success i've had has been often about just diving in and collaborating um and saying hey we would love to participate in that and x plus y is a change in resident education really resident scheduling, but ultimately impacts resident education because it changes the usual block schedules from four weeks of wards or PICU or whatever to a three plus one model in which you do three weeks of the PICU or the wards. Uh, and then you get a week of outpatient. And that has done a lot of things, including a hard part of residency is just the never-ending grind of I have the PICU followed by a 
wars followed by the nights and people sometimes say i haven't can't come up for air and this allows every resident to sort of the why weeks are not off weeks they're outpatient but they get to go home every night they they get to sleep in their own bed every night their work hours go from close to 80 which is where on our hard uh, months are down to you know 40 at the most uh and it's a mental break um and i think that's been a very positive aspect of our program and that was really a team effort here uh, from Joni Heeman to the people in our office and our, all of our faculty who had to sort of change the way they did rotations. Um, but it's been exceedingly well received. And we were able to sort of be part of the group that is leading this across the country. And it's been a blast to be part of those collaborative ventures. I'm excited to see if more programs will adopt the X plus Y schedule. I, being a resident and not experiencing the perks of this schedule and comparing it to current residents, I see how it not only helps with resident mentality and their well-being, but it also helps patient care. And I think that is a game changer too. Whatever you change in medical education, you want to make sure that it's at the best service of the patients. When I'm in clinic with residents, they can focus in clinic and we can do teachings and they're not they're not worried about their patients inside the hospital or working on catching up notes or on phone calls with consultations. They can just pay, uh, pay attention to their patient panel and they feel like they can 100% focus. So I think that is a really great outcome of this. And I'm curious what it will look like across the country in the next couple of years. Yeah, and we are part of that group and part of the challenge in education is also making it scholarly and trying to show academic credit for that which you enjoy doing but you know to really improve education and ultimately like kim said patient care uh and we are part of our collaborative is to show that the first hypothesis of x plus y is that it would not do harm and there would be similar numbers of outpatients seen, uh, and they would have continuity. The ACGME, one of the program requirements for pediatrics is that they have, residents have to see continuity patients at a minimum of 26 times during the year, every other week. But if with the X plus Y, it's only during, you know, 12 or 13 different weeks um, because of the, the way that works. And so we had to get a waiver from the ACGME. And we have subsequently worked with the ACGME uh, and then the cooperative schools to really show that this hasn't done harm. And then we're hoping to show the benefits, certainly wellness, and then ultimately patient education. And then um, we have looked at medical errors mm -hmm. uh, and to make sure that those haven't increased. Mm -hmm. One negative that Kim mentioned is that residents were on the wards and then had to go to clinic. And then when they were at clinic, they were thinking about their patients on the wards and the number of handoffs. So we all know that handoffs are a, can be a site where there's miscommunication and then subsequently medical errors. With the X plus Y, there are dramatically fewer handoffs of patient care, and that's improved things. I remember being a resident in the PICU, like two interns um, were part of our 
our team model. And if you were the intern going to clinic, you were stressed and worried about your patients who you just barely finished rounding on and you signed out to somebody else. And then if you were the intern left in the PICU, you were left to take care of this other set of patients that you barely knew and just briefly heard about on rounds. And it just felt like a frustrating and inefficient system. And I think that's one of the the cool things about our program over the years has been we're willing to change. Um, We take input from the residents, from the chiefs, and really uh, are willing to sort of adapt and make it better. We hope that you are enjoying this discussion so far. Please join us for part two in two weeks. Please send any comments or suggestions to teachingandmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. Please like us on Facebook and Instagram and follow us on Twitter at teachinginmed.